every week I've been giving you a little bit of uh, history around sort of the celebration, if you will, or the, the tradition, the liturgy around Advent. It's an extremely old Christian tradition. It's not found in Scripture, so it's not one of these things like if your church doesn't do Advent, you're you know, heathens. You know, it's not like that. It's more of a, it's more of a tradition. Again, it's something that we just enjoy from the heritage of our Christian faith. And uh, we don't take for granted that anybody here knows all the traditions and of, of, of all the different denominations of all faith. And so we want to be able to explain it. So I've explained to you a little bit of the wreath and where that came from. And over the last few weeks, shared a little bit. And today I'm going to talk specifically about the candle of joy. And so if you go, again, Advent means coming, Latin for coming, expectation, anticipation, lots of different words used. Uh, but in terms of the Christian faith, it's centered around the idea of not just celebrating Jesus coming in terms of his birth, but it's also in terms of the church, the New Testament church, celebrating Jesus' return. So we don't just look at the prophecies and talk about Jesus' birth in terms of the coming Messiah. We actually talk about what Jesus promised and said he was going to do in terms of his return. So we celebrate Advent with both sides of the coin in terms of both and. Um, it's a 1,600-plus-year-old tradition because we don't know how old the tradition actually is. We just know that back in Spain, you know, 300 AD, that it was talked about and sort of affirmed at the Council of Sargossa. So we know that to be true. Uh, the third Sunday is called Gaudet Sunday. It's Latin for rejoice. All right, now this is the idea of the third Sunday, and what you've probably already noticed is that the third Sunday, the third candle is what color? Say it out loud. Colorblind people don't get to play this one. All right, so this is pink, right? This is a pink candle. Why is it pink? Why is every, you know, you will see different Advent wreaths colored all different sorts of ways. Sometimes there's a middle candle, sometimes there's not. I want to just share with you why, all right? So the third Sunday, this Gaudet Sunday, comes from the Latin of rejoice. And depending on some of the older denominations and older traditions, specifically the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church that have been celebrating this, um, they had some, some thought, some intentionality around the color of the candles. And so pink sort of represented joy in terms of this Sunday being a rejoice Sunday. It's sometimes called the shepherd's candles. We're going to read today because of the, the proclamation of joy shared with the shepherds in the Advent story. However, you will see it differently. You know, you'll see it done differently. I told you last week about the cartwheel, and he did red candles and white candles. Well, that was just the invention of the sort of the wreath or the start of the wreath. Lots of people do uh, purple and pink like this. Uh, this is traditionally a Catholic um, interpretation of this. They wanted, the Catholics wanted some, like a purple uh, candle to represent the same thing. They'd go with Lent in terms of more of a penitent attitude and approach uh, to Advent. However, the Lutherans, when they were uh, uh, doing this, they didn't like the purple because they didn't feel like the penitent attitude was what you should have with the expectation of Advent. So they went with blue, right? So they have blue and pink. Now, just to let you know, this is about the only thing that everybody agrees on Okay, is pink is the color for joy and the week of joy. Okay, if that's the only thing Catherine's Lutherans ever agree on, they've agreed on pink <laughs> being the color for joy. All right, and so I just say that to say sometimes you'll see people do Advent wreaths and things differently in their home, in your home churches, in your family's churches. Just know there's a long history around these things, and it's okay. It's okay as long as they are focused on the birth of Christ. No matter how they approach it, they're approaching it with Advent. They're approaching it with, hopefully, a joy and an anticipation, especially when it comes to this 
week. And so, I'll just give you a quick recap. We lit the hope candle, talking about our hope being rooted in God's past faithfulness to his people and what Jesus said he was going to do. And we read the verse, Hebrews 10, says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We looked at all the prophecy, some of the prophecy verses and all the ways in which the Old Testament pointed to the coming of a Messiah. Last week, we lit the candle of love, all right? We talked about the relationships specifically in terms of the Advent story and how Jesus came to express God's love to his people. We read from John 1, it said, the word became human, became flesh, and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, again, the candle and the theme is joy, right? Joy. Now, in order to talk about that, you know, I want us to look at the scripture that kind of is a, a, uh, attributed to that God debt Sunday, is that's Philippians 4. Philippians 4 says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. All right. Now, if you were raised in church like me, you learned the King James Version, which said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, oh, listen to you. And again, I say rejoice. Here's a song. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. Hey, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of good fun with that, right, as a kid. And so that was a verse that just got in there. Well, that's, that is the theme verse, if you will, of the joy candle. To rejoice in the Lord always. To always be full of joy in the Lord, and again, we'll say it, to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to think about the person in your life that epitomizes joy, all right? Then when you think a picture in terms of a person filled with joy, usually, hopefully you have more than one, but usually most everyone has at least one person. And I want you to just think about that person for just a minute. And then in the room, because we can't always necessarily agree about what maybe the, the definition of joy might be, but, but I want you to think about that person, and I want us to come up with some common things that are true about those people that you're all thinking about. First and foremost, their joy is always in some way expressed, right? Nod your head. It's always expressed. It doesn't have to be an extrovert. You can be an introvert and be filled with joy and express it in a specific way, right? It's always expressed. The second thing that's true about those people that you, that you see joy in their life, it's usually not circumstantial. It's not driven by circumstances, right? So in terms of, it, they could be going through a very difficult time. They could be going through grief and sorrow or, or hardships, and there's just something about them in terms of the joy that they have. They'll always be looking for ways to encourage you even when you came to encourage them. They'll be looking for ways to help you when you came to help them. So they always, it's not circumstantial, it just always seems to be there. The third thing I know that's true about the people in your life that kind of have this picture of joy is that at any given point, that joy is going to be something that inspires you or aggravates you, right? Let's be honest. And it all depends on where you are, where you are. You see that person and they got that joy and you're just like, man, Oh, I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be more like that. And sometimes you're just happy kind of wallowing in your own part, and you're just like, look, take your joy somewhere else, okay? You're getting a little bit aggravated by it. But we can agree on some common ideas of, of what joy does when it's in a person and what that joy looks like kind of expressed and lived out in those people's lives. Well, I want to talk about the source of joy in terms of how we celebrate in the Advent story, the source of joy 
for all believers. We're going to pick up in the story from where we left off last week. We're going to pick up in Luke 2. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, I'm going to put it on the screen, and we'll read through uh, the time with the shepherds. This is at that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Skip down to verse 3. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for their census, and because Joseph, remember Joseph and Mary, was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, Messiah the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and the angel, what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The three things I want you to remember, if there's three phrases as, as you move into this week and as you think about this candle of joy, I want you to think about that proclamation that was made to the shepherds. We're going to read it out loud together, okay? Let's read this out loud together so we can all get it in our heads. Ready? Good news, great joy for all people. One more time, let's read it out loud together. It's good news, great joy for all people. And this, guys, this right here is part of why we as followers of Christ not only get to experience and live out and have the source of joy in us, but that we get to share at this season what the good news is. What is the good news of great joy that was for all people? Now, I don't think we can grasp what this was like. I've, I've watched a lot of movies. I love movies. I love stories. Um, most movies that have tried to show uh, this, um, this scene, it's usually, again, as good as we, as, as great as our graphics and things are, I think it just always seems cheesy. It always feels lame. 
You know, in terms of how, how in the world do you, do you take what Luke wrote in terms of people's eyewitness accounts of what happened when the sky split open, when the proclamation of Jesus' birth came, okay? They, that is just such a very, it's a hard thing for us to imagine, okay? Our birth announcements are usually a postcard, right? Maybe some balloons on your mailbox, you know? Jesus gets the proclamation that not only an angel brings, but then Luke says it's a vast host. How many is a vast host? I don't know. More than you think it is, right? Probably more than he could imagine. You know, Luke wasn't, he was a doctor. He wasn't going to throw out a stupid word like a quadrupletillion or whatever. Like he wasn't, you know, I would what I would say if I was writing it. But, you know, he says, no, it's a vast host. It's more than you could possibly imagine, okay? Coming together to praise God for the good news of great joy that was for all people. And in order for us to know what that is, to see what that is, to experience that, we have to kind of look at Jesus' life. Again, we get the advantage of the Gospels, which is the good news. We get the advantage of looking at Jesus' life, knowing what was the good news that they were proclaiming. All they said was the Savior, the Messiah had come. There were lots of different interpretations in the Jewish faith as to what that was going to look like, which is why so many of them missed Jesus. But we get to see it on the backside and say, what was the good news of great joy for all people? I want to talk about three things in terms of what this kind of joy brings. First of all, it brings salvation to everyone. Now, how many of you, like me, kind of hate when you see a little asterisk or a plus or an A or a one, right? Whenever you're reading something, especially advertisements, right? You're always like, this is what this is. Save a billion dollars, asterisk, right? You have to have a million dollars first or something like that. Who, who knows? Well, this is something that I usually put down just because of the nature of, 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 of what's proclaimed. It's not that it's not true, it's that there is an aspect of this that we have to understand. The joy that comes with Jesus brings salvation to everyone, and the asterisk means that, but the gift must be received by way of surrendered heart. Okay? The gift has to be received. It doesn't take away the value of the gift. If someone hands you a briefcase with a billion dollars in it, it doesn't take away the value of what's been given to you. But if you do not receive it, then you don't get the benefits of that gift. Nod your head if you're with me. Right? So that's what we mean by this, that this great, this good news of great joy for all people was for everyone. Jesus brought salvation to everyone, but that is going to have to be received by a surrendered heart. That gift has to be received. So again, what is this good news? Well, we see it through the life of Jesus, and it's a little bit different than what we would probably consider to be good news. And I love this particular example in Matthew when Jesus is having dinner with Matthew, goes on to say later, Matthew, this is after Jesus initially had a, uh, had a meeting with Matthew or met Matthew, and he said, let's go to your house and have dinner. So Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home to gather his dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors, because that's what Matthew was, tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, it's really interesting. When you have your own category that's worse than disreputable sinners, okay, you need to pay attention to that. Okay? Tax collectors had their own category, okay? their own sort of sense of, 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 of nastiness in terms of how the, the, the culture viewed them. 
Now here's Jesus. He goes along and has dinner with all these guests, with Matthew and all these guests, these tax collectors, these disreputable sinners. Keep going. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher, your rabbi, eat with such, what's the word? Woo! Scum. Okay, just, just think of how they are viewing these people. Why in the world would your rabbi, your teacher, these people, the person you're following, in terms of this religion, this faith, this faith that we represent, why would he be eating with them? And Jesus heard this, and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Right? Now, he, by the way, everyone at the table heard him say this. Right? Guys, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He goes on in verse 13 to say, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I've come to call those, not those who think that they're okay. I've come to save the lost. I've come to save those who know they are sinners. If you look back at the Gospels, what is the good news? Well, the good news starts with, guess what? You're a sinner, right? That's the good news. We're all sinners. Paul said we've all sinned. We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That is good news, believe it or not. That's not what we think is good news. No one goes to you and says, God, got good news. You're a horrible person, right? Nobody says that. But in terms of this paradox of our faith, the paradox of Christianity, which is we don't start our faith by being who we are and God trying to make us feel better about who we are or trying to convince us that we're already good. The good news that we see, again, even go back to the shepherds, the Savior has come. Who needs to be saved? Because that's the good news. The good news that brings this joy of salvation for everyone who's willing to receive it comes by beginning with the fact that you are not good. And that's a problem. This is one of the reasons, guys, that we resist this in our culture, why we don't all get to experience this joy together. It's because we spend a lot of times with, the, with this really false mindset, not really understanding the good news, but thinking that we're good as we are. And so I got the scientific graph that I'm going to show you, very scientific. We all spend our lives in a category trying to get to the next category, and that's just the way it is. Even our, Christ, even our Christmas culture, right? Santa's got a list. He's checking it twice, right? He's going to find out, say the words, who's what? Naughty and nice, right? We have this sense that we're all trying to find our way from bad to good. Most of us would not consider ourselves bad. We know people who are, but we're not, we consider ourselves that way. We're probably not that bad. And, and if we're not that bad, then we might be average, like average good, all still trying to get to good. And so even with our culture, our culture kind of feeds the narcissistic, you know, uh, you know, mentality of our own selves in terms of the fact that we, we're probably not that bad, we're probably average, you know, we're all trying to get to good. This heightened new sort of spiritualism that kind of comes out in the fitness tribes and the, the health gurus and the wellness being coaches is that, you know, you just need to listen to your inner self. Okay? Your inner voice to be the true you 
all comes from a root place that don't worry about it. You are naturally good. If you just need to listen to that, you'll, you'll, you'll come back to this place and be good. Guys, the good news that brings great joy for all people does not start there. There's no scripture that says you're good just the way you are. No, no, there's nothing, Jesus never said, you just do you, boo. Like, that's all you needed. Like, you just be your truest self. That's a load of garbage. The good news starts with helping us understand that, no, no, we, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. See, in order to experience this incredible joy that we've all been offered, that we've all been given, we have to realize our need for Him and surrender our lives to him. I love the way Jesus said it this way. This is in the message paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, but these are, this is the paraphrase of Jesus' words. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Because there's lots of religions that teach that you really are just good. We're just trying to all work our way back to good. Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Again, the paradox of our faith is that in order to receive all the goodness of this good news and all the joy that comes, that he has given to all people who would receive it. We have to first start with who we are. Who, who are we? And why did we need a Savior? That's where it starts. And that's why this joy brings salvation. It brings salvation to us by the good news that no matter what your money situation is, no matter what your power situation is, no matter your success in your life, no matter the hardships in your life, no matter where you are socioeconomically, doesn't matter where you are, that we all have this equal playing field of the fact that we are all born sinners in need of a Savior. That's good news. Right? That's the good news that brings great joy to us who have accepted that gift. The second thing is that this joy is produced by faith. It's produced by our faith, by our trust and belief in God. Actually, he says it this way. Paul says it, and you heard Chris even mention it today. It's, a, it's, a, it's considered a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of, of God living in us. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in us. I mean, it's produced by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those nine things. This is a fruit of God at work within you. It's produced by your faith. This kind of joy is produced by your faith. Peter as he's talking and writing a letter to the church, to the, to the church, you have to understand Peter's perspective. Peter was the biggest screw-up in all of the disciples, okay? We get the Gospels to see how true that is. And Peter himself would acknowledge that as well. But he's looking at the new church. He's looking at the church of God, this first generation of church, of the way, the followers of the way. 
And he's looking at all these followers who have never walked with Jesus. They never saw Jesus the way Peter saw Jesus. They didn't get to experience the same thing that Peter experienced, and yet Peter kind of lifts them up and helps them understand that their faith is phenomenal. You know, he says it this way, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. This trust you have in God, that you, that you didn't get to see the way I saw him. And he says, and the reward for that trusting him, the reward for this faith will be salvation of your souls. Peter's lifting up saying, guys, you have to understand, like I have the benefit of having walked with him, but you love him and you trust him without having seen him. And with that comes an inexpressible joy. With that faith comes a joy that just kind of overflows in your life. I'll be honest with you, joy, I'll, I'll, you know, we do this about every year in terms of we'll do it again for the 21 days of prayer, but um, we kind of challenge people to have a word or a one word, if you will, or even a one phrase to kind of shape their year, something that you pray through that God would give you. And my word this year was joy, believe it or not, it was joy. Now, I didn't understand why my word was going to be joy this year. I really didn't. I fought it. I just, I prayed about it. He kept saying it to me and I kept going, no, God, that's not a good word, whatever. And I kept trying to find a better word and trying to find what my word would be. And God kept coming back to me and saying, no, joy's your word. Joy's your word. Trust me, joy's your word. And I'm now in December and I can tell you why joy is my word this year. You want to know why? Because I have had to fight so incredibly hard to keep joy in my life this year. And it, listen, it has nothing to do with, again, full-on circumstances. I've had my issues. I've had my struggles. There's things going on. It's fine. But in terms of this year, for some reason, this year, I have had to fight to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay? I've had to fight to keep my faith center, my trust in him center of my life. Why? Because circumstances can so easily distract me right? Circumstances can so easily distract me. The, the, the negative culture that we live in, listen, every time I turn on my phone, it's bad news, right? It's bad news every time. I'm like, God, please let there be good news. There's no good news. And I sit there and, and I'm so influenced and distracted sometimes by the outside circumstances that, guys, I'm just telling you, I have had to fight so hard this year to remember where my joy comes from, and it's been intentional, and it's been some amazing things that God has taught me through the year of finding out that, listen, when my joy is absent, when, I'm, when there's an absence of joy, there's more than likely an absence of faith, meaning I've put my trust in the wrong thing. I've put my trust in financial security. I've put my trust in my job. I've put my trust in my health. I've put my trust in my family. Like, I've put my trust in all of these things, and I'm not experiencing the joy that I would like to experience, and I keep forgetting that that's not where my trust is supposed to be. That faith is what produces this joy. This joy, this good news of great joy for all of us. And I've had to fight for that, not because I can produce it, but just to keep my eyes fixed and to be centered on it so that I can experience and live in the joy that comes from him. Another thing just to remember is that joy, we see this in scripture, joy helps us endure 
our suffering. When it comes to our hardships and our troubles, we, we see this. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way, and it's probably the part that we read the most. This one in Paul in Romans, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Say the words. Yeah, not just joy. Great joy, right? Remember the good news of great joy for all people? Yeah. When troubles, when problems, when suffering comes your way, I want you to consider an opportunity for great joy. Know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is the process of sanctification. This is the process of growing in our faith. And James is so quick to say, guys, this is the way this works. This is how it looks even when hardships come, even when struggles come. It's an opportunity for that great joy that came to us through Jesus. Why? Because as people of God, as people of faith, we see the bigger picture. It's never just our circumstantial issue that we see and respond to. We sing a song here at Journey called, uh, I don't know what it's called, but I know the verse, I know the words, right? It talks about God being the artist and the potter, right? And we're the canvas and we're the clay. And one of my favorite uh, lines in that is that nothing is wasted. No failure, no mistake. Nothing is, God doesn't waste any of it. No heartbreak, no betrayal, okay? No hardships, financial or otherwise, right? No struggles, no trials. There's nothing that's going to happen to you that God's going to not use either for A, his glory, and also your growth. That's why we're able to count it as an opportunity for joy, because we see the bigger picture. Jesus even said it this way as he was talking to his disciples about what it was going to look like when he, when he actually was going to be crucified. He goes on to, talk, to say it this way in John 16. He says, I tell you the truth, you're going to weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice and you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy. He says, it'll be like a woman suffering in the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you will have sorrow now but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. Guys, I'm telling you, the reason that our joy, and as we think about those people in our life, the reason it's not circumstantial is because when you consider the good news that we've been given about what Jesus has done for us through his grace, by faith we trust in him. When you consider all of those things above and beyond your current situation, your current circumstances, your current struggles or troubles, we can see that there's joy there. We can see an opportunity, even in growing through that, that we're going to experience a joy. And that's the kind of joy that cannot be taken from you. It's the joy that you cannot be robbed of. And it's the joy, guys, that this world is desperately longing for. The, the world is desperately longing for a lasting joy. Okay? Now, now, what's funny is that our culture wants to sell us on the immediate satisfaction of joy right now. 
Do anything you need to do, everything and anything you need to do right now to be happy right now. Go do that, spend your money on that, experience that, give way to that. If you can get joy and you can do it now, that's the way it should work. That's the way you should do it. And yet we know that deep down the longing of people's hearts is for a lasting joy that cannot be robbed from them. They want that lasting joy. One of my favorite passages for the Advent is is the way John describes the coming of Jesus. He's much more, he doesn't do what Luke does in terms of a a chronological kind of telling of, of the details of the story. John is much more poetic. He's much more thematic in his gospel, in his book. And he describes it this way, and I just love this passage every year when I get a chance to read it. He talks about Jesus this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Talking about Jesus. And it already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life, Jesus, brought light to everyone. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The kind of light that comes, the darkness cannot extinguish. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everybody might believe because of his testimony. This is John, Elizabeth, and Zachariah's son. He said, John himself was not the light. He was simply the witness to tell about the light. Why? Because the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. His his description of the birth of Jesus was that not that this was the beginning of anything, but it was the continuation of what had happened in the dawn of creation, that Jesus himself was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he was God, and he created all things. It was created by him and through him and for him, and he was the one who gave light to everyone, and this light that cannot be robbed, it cannot be taken away, it cannot be extinguished by the darkness. And he goes on to talk about John preparing the way. Why? Because that light, that light that already existed was coming into the world. This is the good news of great joy for all people. That's what it is. And I'm telling you guys, the the people in your circles... We talk about this at Journey, your top five, the people in your life, the, the co-workers, the, 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 your, kids, you know, your kids' family friends and your groups and your, your connections and your network. And These are the people that God has placed in your life for a reason. Guys, every single one of them is desperately looking for a lasting joy, a joy that's going to fill them and it can't be robbed from them, and that circumstances can't take it from them. And the darkness can't come in and extinguish it. And everything else that they're trying to fill their life with, and everything else they're trying, that the world tells them will give them joy, is not lasting. And you're going to have opportunities, maybe even this season. You're going to have opportunities and moments in conversation to be able to share with them the joy, the good news that brought great joy for everybody. Not just for you, 
but for them as well. That they can experience this lasting joy. And sure, it's a paradox. You know, in order to receive it, you got to know how much you need him. In order to really experience all the goodness that God wants to give you, you have to understand who you are and why you need this Savior. And your trust in Him, even though you've not seen Him, your trust in Him is going to produce an inexpressible joy that the darkness cannot extinguish. Paul says it this way, He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is going to overflow you. So my challenge, you know, as we kind of close our time is that how are you doing on the joy front of your life? If you're anything like me, You spent a year really, really struggling with all the distractions in your life that kind of take your eyes off the things that bring you joy. You've been been working through some of the circumstantial joy and kind of having a little bit more of a roller coaster up and down in terms of the joy in your life. And I'm just here to tell you that my prayer is the same as Paul's prayer, that you can be filled completely with this joy. That your eyes are so fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, that that joy never, ever leaves you. That you're always full of it, that it overflows. That it's not because you're good, it's because you're, you're a sinner in need of his grace, and because you already know that, and because you've received that and accepted that, that you get to experience the fullness of Christ in you. Your faith produces that joy in you. And your trials and your struggles and your current everyday issues, guys, it it can't even hold a candle, so to speak, to the experiences that you have in the joy in Christ. And I will tell you that if you're, you're running low on the joy front, if you're running low on experiencing that kind of joy, then there's an absence not just of joy, but there's an absence of faith in your life. You've been putting your trust in the wrong thing. You've been putting your hope in the wrong thing. You've been trying to get love out of the wrong things. And as we're going to talk about next week, you're trying to find peace in the wrong things. When we've been given the proclamation, we get that, guys. We've been given the proclamation that there was good news of great joy for all people. Verse 10, as the sky split open, as the angel said, don't be afraid. Here's what's coming. It's incredibly good news. It's going to bring you and me great joy. And it's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's for everyone who will receive it. It's for everyone who wants to experience it this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for the good news. The good news that I have fallen short of your standard, and yet, God, you came, the Savior came for those who know they are sinners.
God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for, for that joy that comes, the joyous message of salvation. God, thank you that my word this year was joy. God, I, I haven't always enjoyed it, but I definitely know that I needed it. There's going to be so much to distract me this year and try to rob me of my joy. God, thank you that my joy is deeply rooted in you. I pray for everyone here this morning, God, that they would, they would take stock in where their joy is right now. What joy are they truly experiencing? What joy are they living out? And they would understand the, the connection to their faith, the connection of, of what it looks like to trust you, even in the midst of circumstances that, that, that don't seem favorable, but God, that, that above and beyond all hardships and troubles and circumstances and trials, God, you bring this incredible news of great joy to us so that we can experience it, can't be robbed of it. God, I pray that for everyone in this room, that the people in their lives the circles that they have the opportunity to influence. God, I pray that they would see that joy in us, this incredibly great joy from you, that they would see it overflow out of us, be expressed by us, by every word and deed. And God, it's only by your power and in your name we can ask this and believe with faith that you will do what you promised you would do in us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.